Hello, and welcome to Look for the Light, a weekly recap and discussion show that will dive into each episode of HBO's television adaptation of the beloved video game series The Last of Us, exploring the ways in which it expands upon the story of Joel and Ellie. Episode 1 is titled When You're Lost in the Darkness, and it's directed by Craig Mazin. This week, I'm joined by Joe of the Kyra Culture to talk everything about the pilot episode of The Last of Us. How are you doing, man? Before we like kind of get into the episode and, and chat all about our thoughts on the premiere, how are things going? I only had you on the pod a couple days ago, so I don't know if too much has changed. But No, really, uh, well, for one, I'm doing great. Um, not much has changed. And yeah, no, I was just potting with you about Babylon, so it's like yeah. I never left, you know? <laughs> I know, it's, it's the ultimate switch up. One time we're talking about 1920s Hollywood, the next time we're talking about 2033 post-apocalyptic. Fucking zombies, dude. Both kind of zombies. Last of Us version zombies. Mushroom, <laughs> mushroom zombies, if you will. Uh, gross. <laughs> um, yeah, but like I guess general thoughts, just to get kind of right into the episode. The Last of Us, as I mentioned in kind of the trailer that that I did for this little series, is such an important story to me. It's my favorite video game, part one and part two of all time. And so, like, I was just curious before we kind of get right into it. Just like, what did you think of the episode? I know you're playing the game for the first time right now, so. What are, you, what are your thoughts on it, kind of still being in the midst of it? So it's interesting because, like, I have, like you just mentioned, I've never played the game, and I've owned the game for, like, months now. It's just, like, I'm just getting around to, like, finding the time to put a way to play the game. But um, I, it was crazy when I finished watching the first episode, like, I had played just enough to see everything that was in the episode in the game. So I like, I had played like a little, a little past where the first episode ended. So I was like, okay, this is, this is great. Now, like I'll put in more time the following week to keep getting ahead of the story. So I can try to see, like hopefully not spoil myself too bad, but just so I I have a general idea and I can kind of see what the, um, like what kind of changes they're making. And, uh, Honestly, the changes are very minor. I was surprised to see how how much of a uh it's not like a one to one like line for line remake. I mean, there are some lines of dialogue that are lifted straight from the game. Mm-hmm. But um like I really thought the opening the opening scene where they're talking about the fungus and then spending more time with Sarah is very uh very effective for the show and to give it more of like a, a dramatic feel. But yeah, no, I thought the episode was great. Can't wait for next week. And yeah, no, that's, I yeah. I think no, that's I, generally where I'm at before we get into specifics. <laughs> right. That's pretty much exactly where I'm at too. I think, you know, a lot of times shows can really struggle with hitting the pilots and getting the pilot episode right. A lot of shows kind of hit their groove two or three episodes in. And one thing I was immediately blown away by HBO's adaptation of this show is just like, it gets moving and it, it hooks you right away. You immediately want to know where the story goes. Um, I already, and many gamers around the world know where the story goes, but I think watching the way that they'll change little things throughout is, is going to be so interesting. Um, I was completely hooked and I know I'm a little bit biased because I absolutely adore the last of us, but I thought this was just an incredibly effective first episode to, to start the series off. Um, you know what I thought was interesting too, is that I've watched it or I watched the premiere with, two others that have never played the game and right. didn't even know anything about it. Like it, it was kind of a, it was kind of a sideboard and it's just kind of silly. But when I was telling like, Oh yeah, there's a show called the last of us. It's based off a video game. It's going to be on HBO tonight. Like we should watch it. 
And then 20 minutes later, they were like, oh, is it going to be like funny? And I was like, what do you mean funny? He's like, because it's supposed to be about like Among Us, right? I was like, what Among Us? What are you yo, talking? Yo. I was like, what are you? No, I said The Last of Us, you fuck. And I was like, yeah, no, it was, it was ridiculous. But um, HBO's but yeah, Among Us coming soon. Damn. <laughs> but yeah, no, that like they were very hooked into it as well. So I think it's uh, like, I think there are like minor changes. I don't even know if that like, if you need to make these changes for like the general audience to get hooked in. Mm-hmm. But I mean, at the end of the day, it, it, it worked. Right. I think there, yeah, really, I'm trying to think of all the changes that they're made and I guess we can get into it in more specifics, but there really isn't many big changes. It's pretty much kind of beat for beat the exact thing aside from very little details. Mm-hmm. The way that you're experiencing this game right now in kind of the TV show is so interesting too. I've that's, that must be, so engaging to be able to just be like, all right, I want like a little bit more ahead of next Sunday, but I don't want to like spoil myself too much. So it's just kind of like piece by piece. So right now I'm at this point of the game where I stopped playing last night is where, uh, where you meet bill for the first mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a spoiler, but you know, no, that's where I'm at. And I, I feel like that's going to be like maybe, maybe episode like three or four or something. That's right. when we'll get to meet bill, but we'll see. I think you're you're pretty much spot on with that. I don't think that's a spoiler because that character has been been featured in the trailer and everybody loves Nick Offerman. And so I think they saw his face and they were like, oh, shit, he's in this. Um, yeah. And Nick Offerman, I can't wait to see how he how he approaches this just because of the way that bill is. Yeah, it's I think he'll be good character. Yeah, so it'll be good. Um, OK, let's get into the first episode of The Last of Us. The first episode is titled When You're Lost in Darkness. Um 82 minute premiere absolutely mega sized episode just to start things off wild <laughs> what, I fa- what i found interesting about this too is um I, I read somewhere that it was supposed to be two episodes this opening episode uh they were going to be the regular length kind of like the regular 45 minutes but they that would have had it ending in a very weird spot for pacing and they were like i don't know if we're going to convince people to come back for for another episode ending in such a bleak place so they decided to kind of mash it into to one big episode, which I think was a very effective choice. Well, like two episodes, they would have dropped two on the same same day. Is that I think what it... so? I think that's what the plan was, and it was going to kind of cut off before the twenty year skip. Interesting. No, yeah. I like I like the kind of like a miniature movie a little more. <laughs> so do I. Yeah, I think it was effective. Yeah. Um, why do you think before we get into all the exact details of everything that goes on in this episode that the show is getting such a positive response? compared to other video game adaptations, which often like kind of crash and burn or divide the fans or, you know, et cetera, fail for some, some reason. Why do you think that last of us is, is proving to be so successful? I think the main thing that has been missing from a lot of other video game adaptations is the fact that they don't have the original creators attached to it. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that Druckmann is heavily involved, like he's executive producer, um, is I think that's key. Mostly because like, who who knows the source material better than the people that did it? You know, right? No, exactly. And I and I think sometimes like I've I've already been seeing some critiques that are like, oh, like they're disrespecting the source material. I'm like, so you you're saying Neil Druckmann's gonna disrespect his own thing? Like, what are, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like you don't have to love the changes, but you can't act like it's disrespecting the source material when it's co-written by the guy who made the source material. Yeah, like I I don't I don't get it, but um, yeah, no, I 
to just to keep it shorter i think um involving the original game creators is is key yeah so i agree and i i do think that that's exactly it i think that's why it's proving to be so positively received is just because it it respects the lore it respects everything that the original ip was doing and on top of that it kind of perfectly adapts it i've seen criticism already that it's like too beat for beat of the last of us i'm like i don't know we can't win if they change everything it'll suck and if they nail everything with precision in regards to accuracy it's being negatively received so yeah it's, can't like win. The, it's not trying to be its own thing i'm like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> and i i do think it will be i think it will kind of branch off not in like key story details but in just like execution of some of the ideas i think it will kind of prove to be its own thing but i i do think that that, that you're kind of spot on with that it's just having neil Druckmann so heavily involved and respecting the source material um, it also helps that Craig Mazin is just a, a fantastic director and, and TV show um, creator. Yeah, no, uh, Chernobyl is probably one of my favorite HBO limited series. So, yeah, um, I think that that was a perfect choice. And of course, the cast is is amazing. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and some of the cast is uh, some of them are actually from the game, right? Not all of them, but a couple of them are. Uh, just one of them, but it's the actress oh, really? who plays the actress who plays Marlene. Is, Got it. Uh, well, Got also it. Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson will show up. I just don't know in what capacity or what roles they'll be playing, but they are. And yeah, yeah, obviously not as yeah. Okay. Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson for anyone listening. Uh, Joel and Ellie, if you, yeah. if you were wondering, but that'll be really interesting to see how they come into play. But this episode's a long one and it has a lot of groundwork to cover. So I think the best way to discuss this series is kind of from the perspective of it unfolding for the first time. Um, so we're just kind of gonna move beat by beat through some of the plot points, uh, starting with a talk show in 1968 discussing the possibility of a global pandemic caused by a fungal infection called cordyceps. Uh, the doctors imply that there are no, although no immediate threat, if the weather were to get warmer, this could become a concern implying a kind of clear cause for, for how cordyceps will spread. Um, this opening's new for the series. This isn't something we ever get close to in the games In the games. We have two games and we never find out anything about how cordyceps spread to humans. Um, I found this scene to be, pretty disturbing just after everything we've been through with with the covid pandemic and literally living through a pandemic to hear them kind of explain how cordyceps which is a very real thing uh in ants and in bugs um could take over humans i found that very disturbing do you think it's an effective change for the uh for the show to kick off with like a clear answer as to how this all happened yeah i think this is important for people that haven't played the game you know Mm -hmm. just to explain um like, okay, what's going on? Like, they get, like, a general idea of, like, you know, oh, there's, like, a disease going around or something like that. Uh, and, yeah, like you said, the cordyceps thing is fucking terrifying. Like, I've seen yeah. uh, I've seen videos of just, like, bugs with cordyceps or whatever, like, completely missing, like, like the back half of their body or missing, like, their head or something, and it's right. still moving around because of cordyceps. <laughs> it's, like, some straight-up zombie shit. Right. You know? Um, but no, I agree with you for sure. Like, like the, the, the talk show host tries to keep the whole segment light, but then you get this other dude who's just like going on about cordyceps. Like, Oh, like where does, where does like PCP come from? Or I don't know if it's PCP or LSD, but one of those is like, Oh, it all comes from fungus. And he gets more and more serious, like into what he's talking about and trying to give like a, like a warning to everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's just zooming in on the, 
on the on the to- like the talk show host's face. He just kept keeps getting more and more uncomfortable. It's just like, yeah, this is for real. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a pretty disturbing setup for like knowing that where the story is headed to have this in 1968, pretty much like a warning from from doctors, and then it still goes the same direction it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was very effective way to start it, and I think the audiences who aren't familiar. Because the game starts with pretty much, you know, like an opening credit sequence where there's news clips of, of the cordyceps virus spreading. But that's not very a clear cause to how things started. So to give audiences that, I thought was a smart choice. Yeah, definitely. Um, we moved to 2003 and we're introduced to Joel and Sarah Miller, a father and daughter, as they go about their daily lives. Um, we see that Sarah is kind of the one taking care of Joel, unless so, less so him as a father being like the protector and more so like he needs his daughter to... To help him eat, to help him wake up, to help him function, a reminder to to fix his watch, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we kind of follow Sarah throughout her day as Joel goes to work with with his brother Tommy. And, you know, she she gets his watch fixed for his birthday and she goes to school and we're just kind of spending this day with her. And as the episode progresses, we see in the background that like strange events are kind of starting to occur. The scariest scene for me being when she's visiting the neighbors and she's doing something and she has her back turned to this older woman who is infected with the virus and she's just going absolutely crazy. Um, what did you make of the choice to kind of like spend more time with Sarah and with Joel? Not so much Joel, but with Sarah throughout the day leading up to the inevitable chaos that we're going to see. I think this was necessary again for the audiences. Because, I mean, we when you play that in the game, you kind of know how it ends up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is more so to add like more of a gut punch to the end of the episode or to the end of this opening sequence. Yeah. Because like you, I feel if you've never played the game, you like, you think you're going to be following this character for the most part, you know, mm-hmm. but then like you, you see like how she just tries to run around and you just see how she spends her days. And the next thing you know, she's. She's gone, you know? Right. right. Um, but yeah, no, that, that scene, and I believe the, the movie she grabs is the, what what is it again? The, um, it's called uh, Curtis and the Viper 2. Okay, I think more yeah. on that, more on that later. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, she's grabbing that game and then, like, you know, you can just barely see in the background because she's blurred out, but, like, her mouth is moving around and... Oh uh, yeah, it's it's just really disturbing stuff. It's yeah. really effective. I one of the one of my friends who I was watching with, like, kind of out loud, was like, "Ugh," you know, like it's like it's pretty creepy to see what's kind of going on right right behind her shoulder. And I think one of the things that I noticed was because uh, I believe the game when you start playing it, it's it's already like like the game starts out when Joel gets back from work, right? Uh, yes. Well, yeah. yeah so he gets home. Um, and then and it's already kinda... nighttime. Right. Like I already knew like right away. It's like, oh, it's kind of early in the day. Like we're literally getting a full day with Sarah mm-hmm. before shit hits the hits the fan. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And um, right. And a nice little addition that I think works for it. I agree completely. I think, you know, it makes that gut punch so much more effective when you've spent time with this character. And, you know, gamers know where this is going. People who know the story know exactly where it's going, but it doesn't make it any less impactful to be able to spend that time with that character get to know her a little bit and it hurts the whole time because you're just like oh man she's she's very kind she's a great daughter um and inevitably it it, it gets pretty sad yeah yeah 
but I did think that that was a great choice to kind of spend some time with her just throughout the day, going to school and just kind of doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, yeah, like the game kind of picks up immediately when the, when the planes start flying low and there's bombs going off everywhere. Um, which is when Sarah will wake up and she heads outside and finds her, her neighbor's door open, the same person she was visiting earlier that day. And she enters to find her neighbors being attacked by, by the inf- infected older woman from earlier in the episode. We, we briefly see the kind of idea that Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann have talked about a little bit in interviews, which is the whole idea of tendrils um, instead of spores. So in the video games, uh, spores are kind of like this airborne way that it infects people where they have to wear gas masks to avoid breathing in just kind of these airborne particles. But the idea that they're going for in this instead is more so like these kind of long stringy tendrils that come out of the mouth of the infected characters. Did you notice that while, while watching the episode? You know, I, I, I didn't know about this interview, and I didn't know about this change. Um, but honestly, I, I didn't think they were going to take out the spores thing at all. I thought it, that was just going to be a moment where, where it like comes later down the line, because, you know, in the game, at least in the opening of the game, you walk through, like, a lot of, like, like subway tunnels where all the spores are, like, real heavy, you know, or just, like, mm-hmm. dark dark spaces like abandoned buildings and shit where all the spores are um but i guess yeah because there there was a uh what was it there was there there was a clicker that was like like completely blown up on a wall and they like in the game you would need to be wearing a gas mask near that right right yeah okay interesting it's it's a it's a weird change but one that it was kind of something they wanted to do back for originally for the game in 2013, Neil Druckmann's talked a little bit about that was, there's actually recorded lines of dialogue that you can hear on the internet of them talking about tendrils and kind of this idea of like them almost acting because it's like this living organism that is using people as hosts and kind of devouring them while they're alive. It was kind of this idea of like, it almost acts like a Venus flytrap. Like they have these like stringy tendrils that can kind of latch out and bite you from it from a distance so that kind of is going to be like the same effect as the spores where like you got to be careful around corners and mindful of like what you're walking into. It's just going to be less breathing it in and more so like it's this living thing that is still alive on dead people and it'll kind of reach out and infect you, um, which is deeply disturbing. I think it can be a way more scary idea if they use it well. So in, in, the, in the show then, the only way to get infected is if you get attacked. Or bitten. Yeah, so in the show, it's it's directly like, yeah, you have to be attacked. I see. I feel like the stakes would be a little higher if you could if you had to wear a gas mask. I think that would, yeah. I I think I would prefer to have that there. Mm-hmm. Just because, the, I, I don't know. We'll have to see how that that plays out on screen, yeah. Because I, yeah. I do think it's an interesting idea. Um, but anyways, so Sarah gets, uh, she runs off from this neighbor. She's saved by Joel and Tommy, and this begins a pretty much beat-for-beat recreation of the outbreak scenes from the video game, which is, to me, one of like the most tense and exhilarating 15 minutes in, in video games. And I think the choice to kind of recreate it beat-for-beat, beat, even down to the camera, situating itself as Sarah's POV, as if you were the player of the game, throughout all of this is is pretty impressive. And the attention to detail, such as like everything that they're encountering in this on this drive and while they're trying to get out of here is almost the exact same as someone who's played the game and experienced that. What did you think of seeing that like play out exactly the same in the TV show? I was just like, 
wow like they they really nailed everything like down to uh it's seamless yeah like down to like the the signage where like you know like one one freeway sign says like oh this way's to austin this way's somewhere else or the burning house mm-hmm. you know that you see on the way um and yeah just being in the back seat of the car is yeah. uh i thought it was great I did too. I thought it was, um, yeah, yeah as, as someone who loves that opening stretch of the game so much, I was just like, holy shit, they really did this. It's like, it's the exact same. Um, it's so cool that people who haven't played the games will get to experience that exact same rush because it plays out the exact same way. Yeah, no, and trust me, when, when this scene ends, um, like when I was sitting watching it with people that haven't experienced this, this like part of the story in the game before, they were like, like when it happened to Sarah, they were like, "Oh no, did she? No, <laughs> you know." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I guess let's let's talk about that specific thing because that leads to they end up their car ends up getting flipped by a plane that comes down out of the sky. Um, all of them are okay, but they end up separated from Tommy and being chased by an infected, and they are last minute saved by a soldier, who then gets orders uh, off screen, kind of over his headset, to to kill them, to kill Joel and uh, and Sarah. You know, and this is this commences the most heartbreaking scene um, for gamers, but also now on on TV. I thought the TV version of this scene um, was devastating, just completely devastating. The reveal that Sarah, even though I knew exactly what was happening, the reveal that Sarah has been shot and Joel holding her and just kind of trying to comfort her and, and sobbing while while she dies. And I thought that the acting from I believe her name is Nico Parker um, was just fantastic. I thought it was. I ended up getting emotional, I'll be honest, even though I, I've played this game like 10 times and I've experienced this moment through YouTube and through the, playing the game so many, to- so many times, I thought it was still just incredibly devastating. Um, you watching it with people who are unfamiliar with the story, did, did it end up getting everyone emotional? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I got emotional heavy. from it. Is, is there uh crap, I keep forgetting his brother's name. What's his brother's name? Uh, Tommy, played by Gabriel Tom- Luna. Okay, Tommy. Was he like, is he there in the game too? Like, kind of tell him like, look, it, you gotta let her go. Like, he's he like is. Joel. Like, come on. And he's like, kind of tell him like it, like it's it's over type thing. Because I like I literally have the like a side by side clip of like Joel holding um holding Sarah in the game, and then Pedro Pascal doing it. I'm like, damn. This, yeah. This shit's tough. <laughs> yeah, it's the exact same. Even down to pretty much the kind of background commentary from the character of Tommy, who's just kind of like he doesn't even know what to say other than just kind of like say Joel's name in a very like you know what yeah. he means. Yeah. Yeah, so Joel loses the most important part of him. Uh we cut to 20 years later, and I think that the juxtaposition with how we we are introduced to Joel 20 years later is just like incredible writing. We last see Joel holding his dying daughter and we next see Joel at a fire and he's throwing bodies into the fire and there's the body of a dead boy um who is revealed to have been infected and they kind of we see Fedra kind of you know trying to comfort him and telling him they'll give him all the cl- clean clothes and food that they want uh and then they end up killing him because he was infected Joel's the only person somebody says I can't even do it I can't throw that kid's body in the fire and Joel is the person who just picks the kid up cold face throws him in the fire i think the the way that you have this scene introduce joel as somebody who is the only person who can throw a child's body into the fire versus how we last see him which is as as a loving father um it sets up very immediately that he is a completely different man Mm -hmm. 
I thought that was such an interesting way to do it. So we see Joel is a cold and hardened smuggler residing in the quarantine zone. Um, he's, you know, selling whatever he can get his hands on. And uh, we as viewers are kind of given a speed run of the world now and the characters that inhabit it. So we meet a group called the Fireflies, which is a resistance group. Uh, FEDRA, as I mentioned, which is the organization tasked with handling the outbreak. Um, and then most of our cast, including Tess, who is like a close friend and in the TV show um, looks like a partner somebody that there might be romantic stuff going on with uh, between Joel and, and her. Um, and in the game, it's very much more like, it doesn't really allude to that, right? It's, it's just it more professional. No. Yeah. It it seems like they've kind of been there for each other for a very long time, but it's always just been like a team, not so much like a, an actual partnership. Yeah. Gotcha. And in the game, do they do the 20 years later thing as well? They do. It's set do? in, um, okay, I forget. <laughs> yeah, no, in the game though, it's set the outbreak day is 2013. So it's 2033 in the game. And I see. in the TV show, it's 2003. So it's 2023, which mm-hmm. is, you know, they were clearly just like, hey, you guys know what it feels like. So we're going to just send it right in, <laughs> right in modern time here. Um, <laughs> but we also meet Marlene, who is the leader of the Boston faction of the Fireflies, and Ellie, a young girl who's being heavily protected by the Fireflies for reasons currently unknown. Um, Tess and Joel are kind of on a mission to find a man named Robert, who this kind of happens in the game, but it plays out a little bit differently um, over a gun deal gone wrong in the video game. Here, it's over a car battery. Joel is uh, he's trying to get this battery because he talks to Tommy through radio transmissions, and Tommy hasn't responded, so Joel's going to go looking for him. This is a completely kind of added thing for the show. Joel has no communications with Tommy and doesn't really talk with him, so there's no relationship between them but it sounds like in the tv show they're still kind of keeping in contact um do you think that that's like an effective choice to kind of have tommy still be a part of joel's narrative rather than have joel have to go seek him out again well yeah no i i like it um like i think they're separated because is he not like uh is it alluded to that he is like a firefly in, uh... it is yeah they mentioned okay. in, in the show joel says something along the lines to marlene of like you're the reason that my brother doesn't doesn't talk to me or anymore or something along those lines okay okay gotcha yeah um yeah no i like why like i guess it's more of a mystery as to like why they're separated like as as big a distance as they are Mm -hmm. um but i'm excited to see how that plays out and like why they had to be why they you know drifted apart or whatever right i think something that's interesting that's like a counterpoint to the game is in the game Joel's not really up to anything when he ends up tasked with taking care of Ellie. He's kind of just like selling stuff in the quarantine zone. And so when he's tasked with doing the uh, the mission of transporting Ellie, it doesn't really inconvenience anything. And I think that adding the fact that he's trying to meet up with Tommy and he's trying to get this car so he can go find Tommy into the show is an interesting thing because now it makes Ellie an inconvenience to him. It kind of directly adds like this obstacle to the goal that he has in mind whereas in the game he doesn't really have any goals he just ends up with Elian in front of him and i thought that 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 adds like an interesting conflict to their relationship because it's going to make him even less inclined to want to be doing this i think even in the game though like he he didn't really want to take on the task of like escorting ellie to the other fireflies right like, he's he, resistant he was, to he was it. pretty uh pretty against it yeah, yeah, he's resistant to it, but it's not because of the fact that he's, like, in the midst of anything. It's just kind of because he just doesn't want to do it. Um, gotcha. But in this, it's it's directly kind of conflicting with his plans to go find Tommy, which I thought was, like, an interesting kind of added 
part to the narrative. Nice. Nice. So the stuff that happens with Robert, though, in the video games, Robert is essentially like the tutorial mission, you know, like you, you, you meet up with Tess and you kind of have to, it teaches you all the controls and you're killing a bunch of fireflies in the game. Um, and here in the show, Tess and Joel don't kill anyone. They don't, they're not, you know, they don't end up meeting any of the fireflies and they don't even end up killing Robert, um, which is something that happens in the game. Instead, he's already killed in a shootout with Marlene. This might be my one big negative of the episode, might be my only negative, because I feel like that opening little bit where you play as Joel as he's mowing down all these fireflies to, to find Robert, it shows how aggressive he can be and how dangerous him and Tess as a duo can be. And I think that kind of taking that moment away from them, um, it weakens not Joel so much because he does still get his badass moment at the end of the episode, but it weakens Tess a little bit for me. And I just... uh that might be my only criticism was I just thought having them have to kill those characters is kind of the whole point of the Robert character. Yeah. So that's, it's interesting you say that just because like the only thing that, uh, that lets us know that Joel is kind of like, like he can scrap, you know, mm-hmm. is that, uh, on his truck, he has like the, the desert storm combat vet, you know, like he, he's like military. Right. Uh, is that, is that part of the game as well? Is that part of his character? Like he was like an, a military vet? It's not. Um, not that I can remember. It might be revealed in some very, very small detail in like a journal or something, but I've played the game a couple times and I don't really remember anything about him being like a combat vet. So I think that's added to the show to kind of immediately spell out how dangerous Joel could be. Interesting. So, so yeah, um, I definitely agree with you there just because like that, that was a fun part of the game, like down at the docks, you know, trying mm-hmm. to find Robert. Yeah. I remember reading a couple articles saying how, and this is where like some of the discourse starts to come in with people saying like, oh, it's like disrespectful to the source material. But there there were interviews where they were saying that the violence in the game was going to be toned down for the show. I, I don't do know remember, if you remember seeing that. Yeah, I do remember seeing that. Yeah. So this could be like part of part of that. But um, I mean, I don't know, because like the when they say tone down the violence, because like you as the player playing the game, so it's as violent as you want it to be. You know? Right. <laughs> that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> no, I've heard many people talk about that. When I play the game, I kind of tend to go like Joel Wick. You know what I mean? Like I'm just oh, okay. killing. I'm killing everyone. But I know a lot of people who, who play it very stealthy. And that's just oh, the yeah. approach. Yeah. No, I'm I'm extremely stealthy in the game mostly because like if i don't do it stealthy i'll probably die <laughs> yeah that's fair sometimes i just get like way too in my zone when i'm playing that game i'm like running up to people while taking shots and just like hitting them in the head with like machetes it's wild <laughs> i need i need to settle down love it love to hear it uh no but i i do i can understand that discourse um about the kind of upset it's not it's being toned down a little bit but the thing is a lot of the thing about the video games is it's like you have to get through an area and avoid people, get through the area and avoid infected. Um, and so there's going to be less people that they need to avoid because it's it's a not a video game. They don't need to have this constant person in front of you that you have to hide from. It's going to be more so about the drama and the journey and the avoiding the infected part, I would imagine. Um, but... I think if they're going to tone down other areas of the, the people on people violence, that's fine. But I just thought that the toning down of the Robert thing was, I don't know. It left a little bit to be desired. We'll, we'll probably see how brutal Joel and, and Tess can be uh, in the following episodes. But I was just like, damn. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it, it would have made it a, the, the episode a little more, a little more exciting 
to see yeah. some like some crazy action, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um and while while this is all kind of going on, we we meet Ellie. Um and she's just this kid who's being chained up in this room by by Marlene and the and the fireflies and we get a conversation between Marlene and Ellie and then we end up seeing Marlene and Ellie next after the shootout with Robert and that's where they meet Joel and Tess. Marlene is is shot so she tasks Joel with kind of we'll give you all the supplies you need, everything you need if you if you deliver this person to this place and they reluctantly agree despite the fact that neither Joel nor Tess want to really do it. Um and this leads us to the ending of the episode where as they attempt to leave the zone they encounter a, a Fedra guard, Joel knows who who tests them all for the infection. Uh, Ellie ends up stabbing in the leg before he can view the result, and then Joel gets in the way, and he's you know trying to get Joel to move so that he can sh- shoot Ellie. And we get a flashback to to Sarah's death. Flashbacks can be you know you have to use them in the right time, right place. Did you think that having that flashback kind of pop in before Joel goes brutal on that on that guard? Do you think that that was an effective choice to to sub that little? imagery in there i'm gonna say yes and here's why mostly because like it it kind of feels similar as to when uh like right before we see joel throwing the kid's body in mm-hmm. um like he was like holding his daughter and then like when he when he flashes back to that to that moment it's kind of like in his head he's like okay well i'm not gonna let like even though i just met this kid like i don't know if i can like make this or go through this again you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so he's like now he just kind of won't take any chances you know yeah so, so yeah i think it works um i agree and i think there's also a uh like since he is a combat vet like maybe he has like a little bit of ptsd going on you know yeah yeah so um so yeah i i think it's a good choice i think it it really effectively shows to the audience that Joel's never healed from what happened with Sarah. His heart is still completely ripped open over it. And at his core, he's always still going to be like a protective father. Even if it's for this random kid, he doesn't know he's still like, and when you see how violently he beats that guy up, it, he like beats him to death. Um, it really shows like this is a wound that's never healed. And this man is just like a completely broken version of the person that we saw in the beginning part of this episode. And I think it, it really nails that brief moment of just how brutal can Joel can be. And a little detail I love about it too, is the way he turns around and looks at Ellie after he does it almost like a, Holy shit. I can't believe I just did that in front of this kid. Um, mm-hmm. it, it just shows how protective he's still going to be even when he's completely shut his humanity off. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really good. And so the end episode, yeah, it ends with the reveal that Ellie is infected and as Joel and Tess kind of panic, knowing they need to get out of here and they're dealing with this massive amount of information, she says she's never turned and it's been it's been three weeks and they kind of immediately have to flee and exit the quarantine zone and into the chaos that will follow ahead in the into the next few weeks. Let's talk a little bit about the performances here, though, because I do want to just kind of actually get into everybody in this. Pedro Pascal is off to a really great start as Joel showcasing like a huge emotional moment and then another really effective brutal moment of showing how simultaneously human and and broken Joel can be. I will say like the lack of Texas accent kind of threw me off a little bit. I was like, damn, he doesn't, he doesn't really sound like he doesn't have that gruffness of Joel, but the second you see him acting in those big moments as the character, he completely nails it. What did you think of, of his performance as Joel? I'll just speak to, cause you know, I, I'm a 
I'm a fan of Pedro Pascal and I think he's great. Um like just to add on to what you said, the the whole accent thing, it's it's kind of funny just because like I know how Pedro Pascal sounds like in real life mm-hmm. and he it just he just kind of sounds like Pedro Pascal with like a, just a tiny like with a dash of southern drawl, you know. Yeah. So, it's like it's like 10% southern drawl. Yeah. So um yeah, I mean, uh, if if he could do a like a better southern accent, I guess that's cool, but I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm I'm not tripping over it. No, I know. I feel like if he can lean a little bit more into the gruffness of Joel, then mm-hmm. I think he'll he'll really have this character down. But I do think he's off to a great start with just the first episode here. Also, uh, Bella Ramsey has sent the doubters running back to their holes. Uh, to me, she just is like, um, she's immediately Ellie. And there's like multiple moments that I kind of want to just discuss really briefly that prove it. But there's a little line delivery of when she goes to stab Joel when she like doesn't know who he is and she first meets him and Joel, he steps on her knife and she's just like, asshole. And it's like, it's so funny and it's so Ellie. And uh, another moment, too, is when she's asking, she's reading about the smuggler code. And this is essentially like they have an interconnected network of radios that they kind of will talk about through this, like, give updates and, and speak code through over the radio. And so she, this I, I, I kind of got lost at. Could you explain this to me? Like, why, why is 80 bad? Essentially, like, yeah, Ellie's reading that 50s means, like, new supplies, 60s means blank i can't remember what it was and 70s means something else and 80s when she's reading and she's looking at the book uh it just says question mark so ellie's just kind of drilling him just to, to find out what it is just kind of out of curiosity and so she uh she tricks him and this is like the moment where i was like this is ellie uh is where she she tricks him into revealing that 80s means trouble by just being like while you're asleep wake me up before you go go came on and then joel's like oh shit and then she's just like gotcha I don't really know why 80s means um, trouble in specific, and I don't know what exactly, like at the ending of the episode, 80s music starts playing over the radio, implying that there is going to be trouble. I'd imagine that that trouble is Joel, Tess, and Ellie escaping from the quarantine zone. But so I'm, is, I'm, someone, is someone relaying them that music? It's like, oh, they, they tune their radio station into the like, a, like 60s or 70s music to relay a message? Is that what you're saying? I think so, yeah. Okay. That's, okay. that's what I took from it, yeah. It's basically just like they speak throughout a code of like the 60s means one thing, the 70s means another thing, and 80s means trouble. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was a, especially because we get to end the episode on some 80s music. I was like, sick choice. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I was really just blown away by Bella Ramsey as Ellie. She's not in the episode for like a, a huge chunk of time, but I just, as someone who loves that character so much, I was just like, she, she has it. She might not look exactly like the character, but that's not something that's, that should even be on people's minds because we're not doing cosplay here. We're doing a TV show. And, uh, and I think she, she's fantastic. What did you think of, of her as Ellie? I, I definitely like the little snarkiness that's going on. Um, yeah. I haven't gotten too much of Ellie quite yet in the game, but I will say that, you know, cause at this point in the game where I'm at, cause I think they even, I don't know if Ellie has mentioned in the show that she's never been on the other side of the quarantine zone. Maybe she did, um, but like you, you get to like at the point of the game that I'm in, you get to see more of another side of Ellie just because of like, like they're kind of like exploring the woods and she's like never been there and it's like this nice little like childlike sense of wonder mm-hmm. and I'm kind of looking forward to like that side of Ellie, how that translates on screen, you know? I am too. I think that'll be like a 
Because right now I'm just kind of like, oh, look at this like bratty little kid. <laughs> you know? Right, right. And which is uh, like not much of not much of an attachment to it really. But yeah. I think with with what's coming or potentially coming in the future, I'll, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. No, and, and I do to explore agree. the the relationship between um, Joel and Ellie a little more. Yeah, once their adventure kind of really kicks into gear, their their bond starts to really strengthen. And so I think that will be where everybody, audiences, will completely attach to the character. Here, they set her up very well because Ellie is a snarky kid. She kind of mixes this, um, this sense of fear and this sense of, like, fuck that, I can do anything. Like, she has this simultaneously, like, I'm scared, but I'm also, like, not going to show it. And I think that they do show that really well in a couple moments where she's... She asks Joel, um, you know where we're going though, right? Like, we're going to be okay. And I think that that's a really effective little moment to, to compliment her snarkiness because it, it sets up like she's she's not the tough little kid she's letting on. She's also kind of terrified of, of what's going to happen to her. I think, yeah, actually, with, what, with where you're at in the game, you kind of have only seen the snarky Ellie as well. So it'll start to flesh out in the following episodes and even in the following hours of where you're at in the game. Yeah. I will say too, like I think for general audiences, this is where like the stories kind of starts to get like, because my friends called it out right away. They're like, "Oh, she's important because she's the cure," you know? Yeah, people <laughs> or are something start, like, something along those lines. The dots, yeah, yeah. So, but it's all good. <laughs> yeah, I do think it. I think you know maybe the choice to throw in the infection reveal at the very last minute of the show maybe wasn't needed. We could have started episode two with that. And have Joel yeah. have his big violent moment and then start episode two with that reveal. Because it does kind of just feel like they just like throw it in. It's just like, oh, by the way, she's infected. We got to go. And then, and then the episode ends. But uh, but I do think that it's important that audiences know that as early on as possible. Because it's it's the biggest part of the plot. Because it, it, I imagine, because I don't, I'm not that far into the story in the game yet. But it, I don't think it's like that black and white. That's like, oh, uh, yeah, she's the cure to everything. You know, right? Yeah, it's not that black. And I think white. It, there's a lot more going on. Yeah, yeah, I dig it. Last person I, I want to mention. I mean, uh, Anna Torv was really good as Tess, but we'll see what she has to work with next week and then the, the week after that. I think we do need her to have her big brutal moment. We need that character to have the same kind of weight as Joel because Tess really is as far gone as Joel, and I think it would be effective to have her have that moment. But I thought she was really good at at displaying the quippiness of Tess and kind of introducing her while getting beat up. I was like, yeah, that, that tracks for the character. But the person I wanted to mention was Gabriel Luna as Tommy. Um, he'll play a bigger part in the show later. And Tommy becomes a, a part in the games as, as you get throughout it. But I was blown away by him because he sounds exactly like Tommy from the video game. I was like, I had to double take a couple of times. And I was just like, Jesus, like he really nailed the voice. Um, it, it's spot on. So he he doesn't have a whole lot to work with in this episode. He's not in it too much. But when he was, I just kind of was like, holy shit, he's, he's got it. Nice. Yeah, I dig that. I think having him in the first episode sets him up as an interesting character to see see more of for viewers. Okay, so I guess like wrapping up because the episode kind of uh, ends here and then we get the setup of, of next week. They're now braving the adventure and going straight into the chaos. But let's kind of just like talk about some of the Easter eggs really quickly because we, we had mentioned them earlier on. The biggest one, I guess, would be like the excellent replica recreation of the entire outbreak. Like fans of the games are just going to be like fist pumping throughout that entire sequence because it's just like it's absolutely fantastic. But there was one that I, I can't really spoil both because 
it's not it's it has more to do with Last of Us Part Two, but the DVD that Sarah gives Joel for his birthday, Curtis and the Viper Two, is is something that will come into play in Last of Us Two in a really heartwarming way. And so seeing them set it up as far back as the first episode, even though it's not in anything until the second game and likely the second season, I thought that was just like it shows that there's a real love for the source material here. The fact that Craig Mazin and Neil Druckmann are just like sprinkling this stuff in. I was just like, damn, this is top tier adaptation stuff. Yeah, no, that that's good. It's like a. Yeah, no, the attention to detail is is there. Like, I, there, I haven't obviously I haven't played part two yet. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, no, that's that's pretty cool. I mean, they're I, paving the way as far back as episode one, which is crazy because it's just like in the game, it's just this very, very little throwaway line from a conversation that Ellie has. So it's uh, it's just absurd that they're giving it that much attention. Yeah. I also thought that something else that was interesting, which you had already mentioned, is just last kind of Easter egg is Marlene being played by the same actress who played her in the video games, which is just a great choice. She she played that character perfectly. And if she can, if she's an actress who is willing to return for the TV show, we may, may as well have her. Yeah. I guess an, an Easter egg that we haven't really, we haven't seen them yet, but we briefly bought him, brought him up was uh Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson who will be in the show at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess it's not an Easter egg for this episode, but um, they, right, they are yeah. in the show. Uh, well, I guess another, another scene that's kind of like Easter eggy is, uh, like when it's like the killing time scene when Joel and Ellie are just hanging out in the apartment, like waiting to hear back from Tess to yeah, yeah. find find the path through. Uh, it's before they get caught in, in the show. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting because that's that's literally like line for line. Yeah. What are you? Thing. Some big wigs daughter? Something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. Just like having these characters have the exact same moments to work with. When the moments work as well as they do in the game, you may as well. You know, it. it I think it's it's a smart choice. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's good stuff. Wrapping up. Um, what were your biggest takeaways from this episode? Just both as someone currently playing the game and as a viewer, like going into the rest of the game and the rest of the season for you. Um, I guess my biggest takeaway is that it's it's definitely fun. like playing the game and doing both just so that I could get ahead of the story a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I I just hope I don't spoil anything too crazy for myself, you know? Yeah. You gotta be careful. I think that's inevitable. (laughs) It's true. Um, Um, And I don't think that the story is like affected by having knowing where it goes. I think the ride for the show is going to be a completely self-contained thing and able to be enjoyed in its own right. um, Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to, because something we talked about, a lot is uh or briefly mentioned is like Joel's humanity. Um I think that's something that's uh like fun to explore in TV. Mm-hmm. Like someone that's like so broken and like lost humanity and then somehow getting it back or like seeing how they get it back throughout the course of a show. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So um yeah that'll that'll be fun. I mean ultimately the last of us at its core, despite all the other stories it's telling and all the other things it's doing it is just a story about love and love both in the in the best and purest sense and love in the absolute worst sense and how it can and take you to such good and positive places and how it can also just completely destroy you. Um, and, I, and I think that it'll be interesting to watch as Joel's humanity kind of bit by bit. I think anybody, even if you haven't played the games, you kind of would know based on how this is set up and the little 
brief moments where they have in the uh while they're waiting i think you can tell that this is a show about you know a found father-daughter relationship and someone really returning to the person they were in in whatever way they can yeah so Mm -hmm. it's set up wonderfully yeah it's set up so wonderfully i think that this this episode does everything a pilot episode of television needs to do it it nails all the beats it makes sure that audiences are going to want to come back and it really was just incredibly sad incredibly entertaining and uh incredibly dramatic I, i i'm really excited for for where the rest of this will go you know, I uh, like the final shot of this episode is of those two buildings that are kind of collapsed on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I logged back in to play the game right afterwards, I was literally at the foot of those towers just running nice. around. I was like, yeah, this is I can't believe I, this is where I left off. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, so. if people if people thought that the infected were freaky in this first episode, which they absolutely were seeing. I have always thought that fast zombies are way scarier than slow zombies. So having just this level of ferocity in, in the zombies in this first episode um, was, was super scary. But it's just going to get crazier and scarier from here. Anybody who knows what they're in for is just like, oh, shit, don't go in those towers. Do not go in those towers. <laughs> um, so, I'm, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, um, same here. Last, last question before we, before we end the episode. What do you think... I guess we can't really speak too much on it um, because we haven't really seen, you know, the clickers and et cetera yet. But what do you think makes the last of us as zombies so much scarier than like regular zombies? And I guess, do you find the last of us as zombies scarier than regular zombies? Yeah. I mean, I think regular zombies, is just kind of, I feel like it's kind of played out at this point just because like with the walking dead and like, you know, decaying flesh and all that stuff, it's kind of like, I feel like this is like a kind of a new spin on it, you know, because mm-hmm. we haven't seen these zombies yet, but you know, from trailers and stuff, we're going to get these zombies with like giant orange, like mushrooms on top of their heads and shit. And I'm just like, yeah, this looks fucking freaky. Yeah. It's um, disgusting. It's so gross. Yeah. Wait, hold on. What, what was the other part of your question again? <laughs> I was just asking like, do you find last of us as zombies way scarier than regular zombies? And like, what, what about them? If so. Okay, so yeah, the the freaky mushroom heads is for sure one. But then yeah, that'll the fact, do it. I think the scariest part about them, and we briefly touched on this either on this call or before, but the the cordis the cordyceps, mm-hmm. right? It's that's a real thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, um, and a very scary real thing. Like it's really freaky to watch those like National Geographic videos of like what cordyceps does to ants. For anybody who's listening to this and they're curious. I would advise you to check it out. It's fucking terrifying. And to me, that's what makes Last of Us a zombie so much scarier. It's like, yo, if there's any zombies that are realistic, it's these ones. And these are the freakiest ones. So that's not good. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, no, I think I did mention it earlier. It's like those things in infecting ants and other bugs. It's like, it's freaky shit. They're like it's, it's like real life zombie shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that exists in our world. <laughs> so... And- it's it's the it's the little details about them too, which is like the fact that they their goal is to infect as many people as possible. Like their goal is not just to like eat flesh. They don't just like want to eat you. They want to like infect you so that you will infect other people so that it will just control everything because it's like a hive network of there's like an intelligence at the core of it, which is like the freakiest part is the fact that there's like this 
unknown thing controlling everyone with one common goal. That's like fucking freaky. It's not just like a bunch of things that are running around trying to eat you. It's like these things that want to consume all of us at once, which is like disturbing. Freaky shit. But yeah, no, the cordyceps bit is the scariest part. And that's what I think separates it from every other zombie thing. Yeah. Um, They took this real life concept and just applied it to, you know, (laughs) yeah, and I, I just like I can't imagine if cordyceps ever were to actually become a real problem in amongst humans. God forbid, um, because I would just be like, "Fuck, this is like my favorite story of all time," and now it's like real life. Like that's it's really <laughs> that, that's scary. not fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like how dare you ruin this for me? <laughs> but uh, I think that'll about do it for the first episode. Joe, thank you for joining me, man. Um, do you want to like plug all your socials and everything like that? Oh, yeah, of course. So I'm Joe. I host the Kyber Culture. Um, you can find the Kyber Culture on Instagram and Twitter at Kyber Culture. Um, that's K-Y-B-E-R in the word culture. Um, we're on YouTube. Uh, if you want to follow my socials personally, I'm just at JDPOC on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, and yeah, no, this was this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. And um I'll probably be back to do another one with you soon. <laughs> another, not... another, uh, uh, another last of us pod. So I'm looking yeah. forward to it. I got another eight weeks of this shit, so I'm going to, I'll definitely need you to, to come back on and maybe we'll see where you're at in the game and everything like that and, and get a little update on, on that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down. Um, before we, before we end the call, what would you rate last of us's premiere episode? Just if like, if we were to rate these the way we rate movies and everything like that, um, out of five, what would you give it out of five gonna, mushroom heads? I'm going to go four and a half mushroom heads. Yeah. Four and a half. Yeah. I think that's where I'm at too. Yeah. I think it's, it's near perfect, but I just need to see more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think as we see more, it might recontextualize how good we feel this episode is too, because Craig Mazin said something interesting about, he's like, it's so heartwarming to see the positive response to the first episode. Cause every episode following that is just better in my opinion. And I was like, let's go. Love to hear it. Love yeah. to hear it. We got a great ride ahead of us. So until next time, uh, this has been episode one of Look for the Light. Um, we're going to be doing this every every Monday or Tuesday. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, when lost in darkness, look for the light. Peace. Peace. Peace.